Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. As always, a big thanks to our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana. Louisiana hot sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Bud, we got a lot of positive, a lot of positive news to talk about on the recruiting front, which is not necessarily something that we could have uh, could have projected. So uh, this will be this will be a fun conversation. Challenge to you know not get too overly excited, but at the same time, a real acknowledgement of uh, some progress being made and. Uh, we'll go through these four most recent names, but uh, one of them that, in my opinion, is a pretty significant ad and, and more reflective of, of bigger positive things going on in the program. So uh, let's jump into this recruiting-focused edition of the Nolcast. Going to try to get to some listener questions as well. And it's uh, early morning for us and uh, very much look forward to, to getting this out. Morning, buddy. Uh, quarantine, maybe day one million. But yeah, I'm, I'm caffeinated. I'm, I'm ready to go here. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this. So. Should be a really good show. Uh, Florida State got some got some really nice news early this week in the form of an offensive offensive lineman. Let's play that offensive line siren. Woo, 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 woo. All right, uh, probably not the best siren there. By the way, we found out that my wife uh, only knows how to do siren sounds uh, that sound like they came from the Born trilogy. Like every siren sound she makes for my, my son when she's playing, you know, police cars or, or fire trucks, whatever. It sounds like a European. She's she's a Euro sounder, huh? Okay. Yeah, right. it's it's pretty funny. It must be that uh, that Cajun influence, I guess. Yeah, I was like, babe, do you do you know, like do we need to just go to the fire like to the fire department or down to the police station real quick and we can hear a siren? And Florida State picks up Jake Slaughter, offensive lineman, uh, projects to me as a center out of Ocala Trinity, and. Uh, Right now, he's a three-star type offensive line prospect. I've been able to see him in person before. So this is a prospect I, I feel like I can speak about with some confidence. Uh, I've spoken with my, my contacts on Florida State staff here. And by the way, hey, shout out to Alex Atkins, who we, we, the offensive line coach who we've talked about, you know, has Florida State in the mix with, with some of these really highly rated kids. And Florida State's not going to get them, right? But it, And I think we've been consistent with that on the Nolcast, we told you they're not going to get Amarius Mims. They're not going to get Micah Morris. And we got some blowback for that. And by the way, we were right. And he committed to Georgia uh, late last week. Kids were telling us, and they're not going to get J.C. Latham, but kids were telling us, yeah, I really like Coach Atkins. He's making a good connection with some of these kids who Florida State really is not in the ballpark for otherwise. Uh, but here, a good connection made between Coach Atkins and Jake Slaughter, uh, who they offered. They also offered his teammate, Caleb Johnson, who I, at this point I, I don't think they'll get. But uh, this is a nice little win for, for Coach Atkins. Uh, Florida State likes that he's a, a smart kid, uh, which you oftentimes hear when, when they recruit a kid to play center. Not just the staff, but, but most of the staffs, uh, they, they think he plays hard and that he's pretty relentless. Physically, I don't think he's amazing. He has decent size for a center, maybe a little taller than, than some centers. Um, it when you're making that comparison, but uh, I have seen him a lot in person. His footwork is, is relatively solid. I, I think he can stay in front of guys pretty well. Um, physically, he's not a, a special player. He's not a guy who I would bring up for four-star status in our rankings meetings for, for 24 seven sports at, at this point. Uh, it doesn't, you know, first all that uh, forever, uh, but an interesting guy, nonetheless, there, and someone who I definitely think is uh, is a solid addition to the class. But 
you know us, we're not, we're not going to BS you on this stuff. And the, the teams that they beat out were Georgia Tech and Arkansas. Now, Georgia Tech and Arkansas, Georgia Tech's probably going to win two games this year, maybe three. I don't, I don't know if you've seen that schedule, but they're, they're pretty tough. And I, Arkansas also is probably going to win two or three. So beating out Georgia Tech and Arkansas uh, for a player shows you sort of where this recruiting operation for Florida State is right now in, in some ways. But this is a solid first step. If all the offensive linemen that you get in this class are people like are, are players you're beating out Georgia Tech and Arkansas for, that's not a great sign. But I, I do think Slaughter is a nice addition. It's important for me to see that this staff is recruiting well in the state. And that's something that I've, I've had some concerns about. I know we've discussed here. Uh, but in, in able to get Slaughter, a, a kid who, when he gets more upper body strength, will be able to deliver you know, an even better blow and does a decent job in the open field picking off defenders. I think he offers you some scheme versatility. And overall, this, this is a solid uh, addition to the class. Yeah, what you mentioned there, where where when his tape does stand out to you, it's when he's uh, it's when he's kind of in space. It's when he's moving around. It's when he's uh, pulling. Um, he's a smart kid, like you said. Georgia Tech and and UNC were really the two schools that came up the most frequent when I talked to people about him. It gives you an idea as to uh, as to the the head on somebody's shoulders. And yeah, he's a, he is what he is. He's a three star pickup, uh, but a, a nice in state pickup and a guy that. Uh, you know, a, a nice little solid piece with which Atkins can begin to work with. So, uh, you know, we don't want to do backflips over it, but uh, always great to see a, an offensive line added to a program that so desperately needs. I, I might backflip uh, Ingram just because, like, this is an offensive lineman. That's true. That's true. It, it, a three-star offensive lineman might be worth a backflip. Yeah, I'm saving my backflip for a, a kid that we speak about later on in the podcast. But uh, Ooh, excited, teaser! Excited to hear that uh, that uh, you know both of us are excited about the the direction of the offensive line, and uh, we don't think coaching was a problem last year. We've been upfront about that, uh, but we do think you got a, at Florida State right now a, a real recruiting force. Uh, so we'll see what Atkins looks like as he begins to. Uh, you know, pursue more players and, and whether or not you're able to add some with a little bit more upside than, than slaughter over time. Coaching on the offensive line specifically, we don't think was a problem. No, I, I think Randy Clements is an awesome offensive line coach. And I, I think uh, if we're being honest here, I think he got about the most he possibly could out of the offensive line talent on this roster. I just don't think there's any, or well, I shouldn't say any, I, I don't think there's, there's much. Uh, and that that's, the number one reason why this program's in a long-term rebuild is that offensive line, as we've discussed many times. Uh, okay, so had a couple people ask here uh, why I put a crystal ball in on 24-7 sports for offensive lineman Jared Wilson to North Carolina. Uh, and the simple reason is that I had two different sources tell me that he's going to go to North Carolina. Not going to burn those sources, but uh, that's, <laughs> that's why. These are people who are not media people, they are coaches in the industry and their coaches recruiting him. So they, if, if they're recruiting him and then all of a sudden they tell me, hey, he's going to go to UNC, well, that's a pretty good source typically. Anger, we have even more positive news. We, we come off the slaughter pickup here and now we have several transfers to talk about that happened late last week or over the weekend or, or even yesterday. Yeah, uh, some, some, nice, some nice names to go over here. Why don't we start with... Uh... You want to start with the Dotson kid at a at a FAU? Yeah, I, I think that's that's fine to start with. He's the uh, uh, the, the commit they got 
late last week. So what if I told you that Florida State could get the guy who led the nation in interceptions last year with with nine picks and, and have him come as a graduate transfer and be immediately eligible on this 2020 or yeah 2020 roster. Uh, would that be something I'd be interested? You're damn right it would be. And uh, and I'll let you give our listeners a better idea of, of him. Certainly a you know somewhat limited kid. I don't want to blow smoke up uh, anybody's back, but um, and limited when I talk about size. Uh, but just a ball player, really nice tape. Interceptions aren't necessarily entirely transferable. Uh, from one place to another, from season to season, what is transferable is a kid with ball skills and a kid who knows how to make plays on the, on the ball uh, is really responsive and intelligent in the angles that he takes towards the ball. I don't know exactly where he's going to play, bud, but he gives you a lot of flexibility. He certainly raises the floor, and um, Dotson's a, a really nice pickup, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So uh, Dotson visited Florida State in early March. Uh, he's from Daytona, Daytona Mainland, which is a school that has been very good for Florida State in the past, recruiting-wise. They, they, they send a lot of kids, not only to Florida State signing-wise, but they also send a lot of kids to Florida State's camp. So, so Dotson is familiar with FSU. He, he took the visit in early March. Like I mentioned, he's immediately eligible, uh, and he was the NCAA leader in interceptions with nine picks in 2019. Now, interceptions are not really a predictive stat. Uh, interceptions have a ton of luck involved. Uh, we, we know that. And it's pretty rare for anybody to lead the, the country in interceptions back-to-back years. See also McFadden Tavares, if you'd like a little reference on that. Uh, now, he's not very big. He's, he's 5'10", you know, 188, 190, depending on where you look. I really like this pickup for Florida State. Do I think he's going to be a starter? I don't know. Is he going to raise the floor of the defensive back unit? I can say absolutely, yes, he will. Because if you go and watch some FAU, and I actually did watch some FAU this year. I I had some wagers on them at times. They use this kid really kind of all over the field. And I think he's a a player who can help you out in that. Now, if he's not the starter, he might be your primary backup at one of the safety spots, one of the corner spots, and maybe the nickel spot. Right, like this is a, a player to me who could perhaps play three, four hundred snaps for you if he's not a starter, and be a very valuable piece because of all the different spots he can play. Football is a collision sport; guys get hurt, and and to me, I, I think this is a pretty smart pickup for for the Knowles to take. Now, you mentioned he's limited. Yeah, I, I don't think he's a special athlete. Um, his other offers were Baylor and Boston College, and those are two programs who are you know in, in even more of a rebuild. I think. Than Florida State is. Uh, Baylor fans would disagree, but uh, the the Vegas odds on them uh, w- would agree with me. So yeah, I, I really like like the take. You can't roll scholarships over to the next year. There's no reason not to take a player like this, and, and, unless, I mean, character wise, I have no idea about him. But I think this is a solid take. I don't see the downside, and maybe you get him in and find that that he has an ability to raise his game even more when, when playing against much better athletes. Uh, you know, as opposed to playing in Conference USA, which is where where FAU plays, maybe he's able to uh, maybe he's able to really take his game to the next level. But at the worst, I, I see a player who is a quality backup, an experienced player at multiple positions. So, yeah, I'm I'm all about it. We will uh, pause ever so briefly to thank our friends at For the Table Restaurant Group, Madison Social. 
uh, want to remind people, as always, that the 17th of each month is Reuben Day. So uh, this will be coming out right around uh, then and want to put our Tallahassee listeners, or at least have our Tallahassee listeners, put that in their mental calendar. Uh, we don't have an exact date for this, but can tell you that we look forward to doing like a kind of an online sports trivia night with our friends at Madison Social. Uh, we'll let them kind of build out the idea a little bit more and announce it to you here shortly. Uh, but like we said, want to do everything possible um, from a support uh, support perspective of uh, trying to give Madison Social, Matt and his team, everything that they need to make it through this time. And uh, just want to thank our listeners, the merchandise sales that they've uh, received have have been significant and have been really helpful towards them. And uh, anything that you can do, again, whether it be the purchase of a sandwich or a purchase of a gift card from long distance, it's of, uh, you know, it just means as as much as it possibly can. And want to continue to thank our listeners for for the support that they've given the people who make the Nolcast possible. Um, not a direct comparison, but there are elements of Dotson that remind me of uh, of Mike Harris, the JUCO add-on, in the early part of the uh, uh, you know the early part of the Jimbo era. Uh, real nice player, in my opinion, that gives you some flexibility. Uh, good pickup. Deontay Williams is the next kid we'll talk about. Uh, we spoke about Williams on our most uh, recent podcast. We had uh, recorded that one while he was. Uh, kind of a, a heavy lean to Florida State, and then he ended up uh, committing in the process. So we've spoken about Williams, but we haven't spoken about him as a known uh, Florida State commitment, and uh, I'll let you do that now. Yeah, so I think everything that we said about Williams in the last podcast uh, stands. Obviously, his father uh, was Alfonso Williams, who played for Florida State. That has also not changed, uh, so <laughs> pretty consistent there. Uh, but so he has not played since 2018. He suffered a very serious broken arm, uh, serious enough to where Baylor medically disqualified. Interesting decision for a Baylor team that had, you know, some good defensive linemen, but not like incredible uh, depth along the defensive line. And and Ingram, this this gives me pause a little bit, right? The, he's a six foot one, two hundred twenty five player, so he'll probably play Florida State's sort of hybrid stand up position, which I, I know Adam Fuller, the new defensive coordinator, calls the Fox. I have no idea what they're going to get get out of Williams. Williams was not a big-time player for Baylor. I think the best-case scenario is that he's been working out and training, trying to get back into football since, since that 2018 injury. He wants to give it a, a, a final go and what, as far as I could tell, would be his redshirt senior year, but I have to imagine that maybe he could get a uh, perhaps a sixth year if, if things work out, if, if you think about the timeline of his career with with uh, with the injury there in 2018 and then not playing in 2019. Maybe you get a guy with with, with some pass rush ability. Obviously, he's not very big at, at six foot one and you know 225. And and even if I'm, even if I'm undershooting him a little bit, that's still you know not very big. Maybe he can help you in that role. And if you took a player like this at defensive tackle or a spot where Florida State was was deeper. I would probably be like, eh, I don't know. Like, is that really the right move here? Uh, the right use of scholarships because you could potentially try to take a flyer on, on a player at another position, maybe like offensive line, where Florida State still has not signed an offensive tackle in, in the transfer portal. And they, they really need, I think, two, but definitely one. And I, I don't think the I don't think the Taylor kid that, that they got is, is a tackle in the ACC or, or not a good one. I think he's probably a guard. At defensive end, like 
who do you like at defensive end for Florida State right now? I, I think Williams has, is going to have a chance to play. Maybe not a a great chance like to, to start, but I think he's going to get snaps for you if like if they like him enough to take him. At the very least, he gives you some experience. He's a more veteran player. And maybe they, maybe they like him as a person and, and think he does things the right way. So I think the floor is fine. And maybe the ceiling gives you some additional pass rush ability. Like you have Kando and Robinson. And I, I, you know, I think at this point you assume Kando sticking around and, and that, that he's not going to transfer. I don't know that to be certain, but I, I would have to assume so. Robinson's not going anywhere. But other than that, like, who do you have at defensive end who, who you love? Florida State recruited really for a 3-4 for two years. And that has left this roster in an interesting place to me with with, with respect to that position. Yeah, the, and the other in name is is the Jacksonville kid, or Jacksonville, the Jackson kid from Louisville uh, that is not a not a fit for the Fox position at all uh, or, or a, a strong side end at, at best. So Yeah, he's a DT all the way, you know? Yeah, you got a lot of holes here. I think it's just a good fit. It's, a, you know, for what... For what you want to do defensively, uh, schematically, and with what Fuller wants to do with a Fox position, uh, Williams is a body type that, that Florida State doesn't have a whole lot of right now. I, I totally agree. Now, a player who I think fans should be pretty excited about is is the next guy we're going to talk about. And I'm, I'm not saying don't be excited about Williams and Dotson, but those guys, those are our guys who were not really heavily pursued by by big time programs here. Uh, despite their experience and despite some accomplishments, especially for, for Dotson. But this kid, the, the next guy, Fabian Lovett, the defensive tackle out of Mississippi State, that, that's a player who did pick up some big-time offers as soon as he hit the portal. And, and he picked them up because he has size and some flashes in the SEC. He's actually had some tackles for loss and sacks in the SEC as a redshirt freshman. He does have size. I mean, he's you know, 6'4", 300 plus. This is a guy who was coveted by by several schools and kind of reading the tea leaves here, he jumped in the portal when Mike when Mike Leach, uh, you know, put out that, that kind of racist uh, meme there with the uh, with the noose, right? A lot of a lot of schools jumped on him, including Florida, right? Florida was very interested in him. And I think Florida State was able to to do a couple things here in, in order to get to get Fabian Lovett to come on to come on board. Now, number one, Mike Norvell had recruited him, and he knew Mike Norvell. He also obviously knew Chris Marv from that coaching staff. So I think if you're leaving one school because the coaching staff turns you off, going to a school where you do have a good relationship with with that staff would, would make a lot of sense. And it seems like, like he does have a good relationship with Coach Marv, the linebackers coach at Fort State, who last year, was at Mississippi State, and then also with, with Coach Norvell. Um, that that makes a lot of sense there, how Florida State was able to get a player uh, who other big-time schools actually wanted. I think there's a whole lot of reason to be excited here. Let me put it this way. The, the conversations I've had more recently have been, let me contain my optimism. Let me not go just bubbling over here. Um, I think it's a great sign. I think it's a great sign in the ability to uh, to be able to get a kid like this he had other options, many other options, wink, wink, nod, nod, uh, you know, read into that what you want. Um, and I think it's a, I think it's a force multiplier. I mean, the kid that I just talked about, the Jarrett Jackson kid out of Louisville, uh, I think that kid's either like honorable mention all conference or not even on your roster by the end of the year. I, I think that either really works out 
with that kid or not. And I think as many uh, other talented bodies, big bodies that you can have on the defensive line uh, that are going to push everybody is nothing but a good thing. And love it is um, big size, proven product. Ring, ring the real optimism bell from me here, uh, not just on the kid, but on the overall sign out of what you're able to take away from a Florida State staff being able to get somebody like this. So um, I don't want to overreact. I don't want, I'm not trying to dance on anybody's grave here when I talk about that when it came to adding to the roster, the past coaching staff was was pretty much flat out incompetent in their ability to do it. So I don't want to freak out in the when when you see a staff be able to execute some of their plans. Uh, but love it is a real big pickup, and I, I you know again I'm I'm extrapolating a lot of positives from it uh, from an overall measure of a health of a program. So good, real good signs from that, and. Uh, Really excited about the pickup. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. The other reason why I think he would choose Florida State is the the path to playing time if he's not eligible this year. And we don't know if he's going to be, be immediately eligible for two reasons. Number one, we do not know if the NCAA's uh, transfer waiver vote is going to pass, although we expect it will, uh, as far as being immediately eligible for all transfers, the, the one-time uh, exemption. We also don't know that if that passes, if it will count for the 2020 season. Although I've spoken with some people who believe it will. And I've also spoken with some people who I think are pretty plugged in who believe it won't. So there, there are legitimately plugged in people on both sides of that argument uh, who are not sure if it's going to, if it's going to pass or, or excuse me, if it's going to apply for this year. Although all of them expect it to pass. N- nobody thinks that's going to get tabled uh, this time around. So that, that's some interesting stuff there. But you're going to lose Marvin Wilson and Corey Durden after this year. And you might lose Robert Cooper to the draft too after this year. The, the path to playing time is real obvious. The, the Jackson transfer that Florida State took, look, we have no idea if he's going to be a good player. I think that your mention about his floor and ceiling, Jackson, not, not Lovett. I, I think Lovett's floor is much higher than Jackson. We actually asked about Jackson when we were, when we were talking to somebody Months ago, before we knew Florida had any interest in him, we were just going over Louisville's roster and some preseason stuff. And the feedback we got on Jackson from the guy who was really plugged into Louisville was like, "Yeah, that this they're not this staff's not a fan of him at, at all. Like he's not in shape that that type of stuff." Uh, so we have no idea if Jackson's going to be good. And not having him on campus is probably not a great not, sign. Not a great start to the. <laughs> Not, not a great start to the Jackson project. No, right. No, it's not. But you know, maybe maybe he's working out at home really hard and and staying in great shape. But with Lovett, like first of all, if if you get Lovett eligible for this year, he's probably immediately your number four defensive tackle, right? I would have to think. Uh, I th- almost certainly, yeah. That's that's a hell of a pickup then, and a player who could really help you, uh, especially in in twenty twenty one, if not in twenty twenty. And, and this kind of brings me to a, a more a, a larger point, if you will. Why is Forsyth going so hard after these transfers? In my opinion, there are two reasons, and and maybe you can maybe you want to comment on these, uh, or, or maybe we, maybe we don't. They like the players they're bringing in, first of all. Like I, I generally think they actually do like some of these guys and and think they can help them. But the other real, I, I think, important thing is, and I've been interviewing coaches for my social distance series on twenty four seven Sports, and they they talk on the record and off the record. These coaches who are first-time coaches, they are freaked the hell out, man. Like when they're at new schools, they 
They don't have a they don't have spring practice. They don't have off-season workouts together. They really have no idea what they have on their rosters. Right? Like all these coaches say, oh, I don't go back and look at the film from from previous years because I want to give everybody a clean slate. Well, guarantee you they're going back and looking at the film now because there's no spring film to look at. They're trying to guess what they're going to have in the fall. And so they don't know what they have. They're they're very worried about the variance. And this we would both agree that everybody's going to cut Mike Norvell a bunch of slack for a number of reasons. Budget being probably the first and foremost reason, right? Because they just paid a buyout that they really couldn't afford to pay, but also in some ways couldn't afford not to pay. But also because of the coronavirus stuff and not having an offseason, not having a spring practice, they're going to cut Coach Norvell a lot of slack. Man, it would really help him to at least make a bowl game. And I'm not being negative here. We both believe that they will. But I would say all of these additions, I don't know about the ceiling of these players for 2020, but I do believe these additions are additions for 2020. And I'm assuming Lovett doesn't get eligible right now, but if he does, then this conversation changes a little bit. It is my opinion that all of these additions help increase by by some measure of certainty the odds of making a bowl game at the minimum. Undoubtedly. Yeah, they do. And uh, we'll have to see about Lovett. If, if Lovett gets uh, eligible, that would be significant, really significant, in, in my opinion, and would go as far as anybody that we've talked about as far as uh, – you know, raising that floor and, and making a bowl game possible. I'm not going to say reiterate what you said about coaches not knowing their own roster because of complete agreement with it. I mean, at this point, the only thing you know is who tries hard in the weight room and conditioning, and that's about it. Yeah, and and look, the Florida State they've they've got to show progress in year one. Uh, it, it, it's a crazy conversation to have when you talk about how much uh, flexibility that uh, Mike Norvell has. When I say they got to show progress, I'm not talking about a job security standpoint. I'm talking about his ability to sell the program uh, and and begin to have the type of recruiting classes that are necessary for us to st- start to talk about uh, Florida State contending for a conference title again. And you don't do that with a, with a year one at, at five and seven or whatever else. So a lot of focus is being placed on this right now because it's the only place where you can immediately improve your roster. And Florida State kind of desperately needs to do that. None of these guys help your offensive line at this point. Uh, they, they did go out and get Taylor, who I think uh, is going to be, likely be a starter for you at one of your spots. Maybe he's a starter at tackle. Maybe he's not. But like, if they went out and got an offensive tackle who, who we, we believe to be an average offensive tackle in the ACC, like, he, he would immediately jump to the, the front of the list as, as the most impactful addition just because the value, like, over, like the replacement value over existing is, would just be so much. So they, they continue to look at at offensive linemen in the portal. And so far, they, they continue to really not, ha- not have luck there. But we'll see what happens. M- maybe this helps you with Mississippi State's o- offensive lineman transfer uh, as well. M- maybe getting Levin in there says, hey, like, you know, I, I love this coaching staff and, and come on, come, come join me over here at Florida State. We'll, we'll have to see. All right, guys, we're going to pause real quickly to let you know about Resolution Home Loans. Y'all love them. Over 50 Nolcast listeners have, have decided to get their home or their refi through Resolution Home Loans. And, and we're very thankful that they have. Shannon Young is the best loan guy in the business, whether it's a home loan, a refi, or this is something new, but obviously during the during these times, it, it makes some sense. Instead of going in, into debt with credit cards or, or other high interest avenues, if you have equity in your home, you might look to, to refi or, or, or do some sort of home equity deal 
to unlock some of that equity in your home and, and help help get you through uh, this period. If that's something you're, you're interested in, go ahead and give Shannon a call, 844-FSU-LOAN or visit FSUHomeLoans.com. Who knows? He really may be able to help you out, 844-FSU-LOAN. That was a pretty solid, uh, solid little half an hour talk about recruiting and, and transfers. I, I do think that this is a good job by this staff, right? Could I give them an A on the transfers? No, because the offensive tackle issue. But I would give them like a solid B. And I think that the prior staff, I would give more of like a D or an F on, on some of their transfer work, especially because we have a bigger bigger sample of, uh, of failure to evaluate there with the prior staff. I, this, is a, this is good work by them. I, I think this is something Florida State fans should be excited about. Florida State is really grinding and trying to, trying to find guys that they feel it can help them even in, in small increments. And they, they have the scholarships to give, right? I, I know the other day on the Knowles 24-7 message board, we were in a little debate, like, should you give Wyatt Rector a scholarship to tie it in? I have nothing against Wyatt Rector, but like roster management only, right? If I'm, if I'm the GM of Florida State, I'm not giving Wyatt Rector a scholarship right now. He's a backup tight end. Like It's not like he's going to transfer out of the program if, if you don't give him one right now. I would wait a year and let, let him prove himself. And then if he shows he, he, he deserves it, then perhaps give him one. The same thing with, with Sheffield. Like, why wouldn't, like, I already had these guys on my roster. I don't really believe they're transfer threats. And if they are, okay, it's not like they'd be huge losses if they transferred. Why don't I use those, those scholarships available to me to go out and try to bring in more talent on my roster to try and improve? My roster. Now, if I'm not able to do that, if I still have some scholarships freed up, you know, at, at, at the end of the offseason, then I might offer a scholarship to those guys. But right now, I wouldn't do it. I, I don't think that's prudent roster management. And it looks like Florida State is, uh, at least right now, going a little more with, uh, with the strategy that I proposed, uh, which is to try and bring in other guys and not, uh, not just, if, you know, like elevate your walk ons to scholarship status. All right, bud. We'll uh, we'll pivot from scholarships uh, conversations to questions from our listeners here. Uh, we'll try to get as many th- as these as possible. While at the same time, acknowledging that we'll probably have to roll a couple of these over. Uh, the first listener question comes from Chris. Chris asks: uh, The new staff seems to be getting traction with higher levels of recruits than the previous staff during the last year. Uh, would you say this is an accurate assessment? And how do you think they're doing overall? Uh, when it comes to recruiting, compared to this time last year, ah, no, I, I don't. I don't think they are getting getting more traction. And and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong in that. They have you know one four star player committed right now in in Brandon Jennings, and they got a three star quarterback. They got a, a three star defensive lineman in, in Josh Farmer, a three star offensive lineman in Jake Slaughter, uh, and then DeQuavian Fuller, a, a linebacker who was offered by the, the prior staff. And I I don't know if I would project him in the class right now. There aren't any four-star offensive linemen right now who I would project to Florida State. Right now, we'll, we'll see what, what happens. I, no, I, I think that they are in a similar spot to where the last staff was this time last year uh, as far as getting traction with, with those recruits, if you want me to be honest with you. I, I do believe that they are more organized than, than the prior staff was. And I think that this staff uh, will ultimately do a better job in recruiting than the prior staff did when it comes to actually signing those players. It, it's also extremely difficult to judge 
this staff right like at this stage versus last staff because this staff doesn't have spring of al period like they're not able to go around to the high schools they're not able to host official or unofficial visits right now it, it like it this is a very difficult comparison to ask me to make and i think this staff is absolutely making the best uh of the predicament that it has right now it also has a product that like during these kids high school years has has really not been impressive like the last year i think you're really proud of what four state was doing uh, on the field was was probably 14 although they, they did win the orange bowl in a year that they also got you know blown out by louisville by by 100 points and the program was pretty clearly you know rotting from the inside like how do you evaluate this and i'm not trying i'm not trying to punt on this question yeah. those those kids are what still sixth or seventh graders like if that's your high watermark uh, then you're still going back to current recruits early parts of middle school i mean i think, I think even in best case scenario. So um, from a micro standpoint, when managing the year-to-year horse race that is recruiting, I agree with you that this staff's about where last year's was at this process, maybe slightly behind. From a macro judgment as to how this staff goes about the the broader issue of roster management, uh, I don't think there's any comparison. Uh, I think this staff is uh, much more proactive in uh, adding and, and identifying prospects uh, doesn't mean they bat a hundred, uh, or doesn't mean they bat a thousand. But uh, as far as the the broader issue of managing a, a roster and recruiting to it, uh, certainly feel more comfortable with the with current, the current staff place. Place. To answer Chris's question, I agree. I I will say, and Mike Norvell could not have known about coronavirus because he's not an epidemiologist. Obviously, we did kind of discuss that there was some risk in in having this few guys with recruiting the state of Florida experience on this coaching staff. In some ways, I do think the risk is magnified a little bit by not having this spring evaluation period. And this is not Mike Norvell's fault, right? Because nobody could have projected, hey, like you're going to have a dead period that's going to last for 150 days in your first your, your first year at a school. Like that's, that's crazy talk. And, and nobody would have believed you if you had said that in December because you wouldn't have been known to even suggest it as a, as a possibility. But not getting out to be able to meet the high school coaches and the players and, and evaluate them, uh, a lot of people, a lot of these kids don't know who Mike Morvell is, right? Because they don't really follow college football. Certainly not like you or I do if we work in the business, but like not even like a lot of our listeners do, who obviously know Mike Norvell now, but a lot of like serious college football fans certainly knew who Mike Norvell was. And I think Mike Norvell is going to be successful at Florida State. Uh, but a lot of these kids don't know who Mike Norvell is. And they don't know who a lot of these guys on his staff are as far as like knowing them and knowing of them, really. And so the lack of the ability to make these introductions because of, of the dead period and, and the lack of, of spring visits and spring evaluations where you're going to the high schools and you're meeting these kids, I, I think that's, that, that has hurt Florida State in some ways uh, more than it would have within the state of Florida if they had had some guys who the, the, people, the people in the state of Florida already knew or more of them. Next question comes from Will. Will asks for more information about uh, Deontay Williams, the Baylor commitment that we've uh, talked about, and then ask if there's any more transfers uh, that we should keep our eyes peeled for. Um, Will, if Florida State's able to add a uh, defensive prospect from Arkansas State, then I won't be just ringing the optimism bell. I'll be uh, I'll be sounding the you know the the full blown air raid uh, siren, but. Uh, that's that's the one that's foremost on my radar. Is there anybody else that you're really looking at, Bud? That you think the 
uh, the roster could be bolstered from a transfer perspective? So certainly uh, uh, King from Arkansas State, as you mentioned, would, would be one. Uh, the offensive lineman from Mississippi State would, would be the other. I, ha- I haven't seen any, any recent status on him, but you got to look at him. I, I was thinking that they would hit the transfer portal harder after spring because the, the depth chart situations at some of these schools would be a little bit more clear. And you would have, you know, you'd have a redshirt senior who is pretty clearly going to lose his spot to a redshirt freshman at like a really, really elite school. And, and the kid's like, well, I, I want to go somewhere or I'm going to play. I waited my turn here, but now I got beat out by some hotshot five-star and I don't suck, right? I'm not a bad player. I'm just not able to start for, you know, Georgia or Notre Dame or something like that. Uh, and then that, that player hits the market. But right now we are suffering uh, just as a sport from sort of the, the roster uncertainty brought on by not having uh, spring practice. So it's, it's tough to know who else will jump in the portal. Like, are we going to have kids jumping in the portal in August? Like th- this is a scenario that, that I thought about the other day, and this is just kind of how my crazy brain works. But like, let's say the NCAA vote passes, right? And, and they say, okay, yes, one-time transfer waiver is allowed. And they say it's applicable for 2020. And because these coaches say they really want 60 days to, to get prepped for the season, which I don't think they're going to, they might not get. Like, I don't know if we're going to have, uh, you know, July fall camp. But if we do have July fall camp, that means that the kids are not enrolled yet in the 2020, 2021 academic calendar, right? So they would still be considered uh, like the end of the the prior academic year. Would they be able to jump in the portal in July or early August before they actually start their fall classes and be immediately eligible at another school? Could we have another portal wave come like that late in the summer as they get a little more information about their uh, that would charts. be that would be wild that would be absolutely wild if uh if we're talking about portal and kids in early august uh but yeah i mean i think we're we're going to be operating off a, a totally unknown landscape in so many different aspects that uh, i would only expect it to to you know spill over to the transfer portal as well but i think it's a great point the further some things get pushed back the more of kind of a, a shortened or or maybe a more dramatic timeline uh, certainly dramatic if you're talking about kids sort of trying to transfer and you know transfer and become, in theory, immediately eligible uh, to play in a month in which games are as of now scheduled. So, uh, yeah, that would be crazy. so. Uh, our next question here comes from Tom, and Tom says, "You guys do a great job. Happy to help support the Nolcast. Been a loyal listener for for a few years now, but not as long as some others." Tom, we appreciate uh, your your uh, your support of the show. Uh, I'd love to hear your origin story of the Noel cast, your friendship, your love of Florida State, and how this all came to be. Oh, this is kind of a fun one. I, I, I like this. God, I hope we get this right. <laughs> so as I recall, you were the you were a producer on Chuck Oliver, right? And I'm trying to remember how this, this all like officially started, started. And I had gone on Chuck Oliver as a guest. And that's kind of, I think, how we first started talking, right? Um, I believe so. I, I was doing uh, the Chuck and Chernoff show here in Atlanta and then started the Chuck Oliver show. Um, I think that was uh, certainly part of it. You and I were kind of in a similar internet community for a period of time. I, I can tell you the, uh, the origin of Bud and I communicating is a, a somewhat interesting story in the fact that uh, this... <laughs> 
Uh, it's a, it's kind of a long story. I'll make it as short as possible. Uh, this was much more rampant like 10 or 15 years ago where some of these, some people that were working on some of these team sites were almost more like members of the shadow staff than they were uh, media members. And there was a, an individual that had some, claimed to have some some information regarding Florida State being nefarious on the recruiting trail. And I, uh, I, had, I had called Bud. I, I was fairly plugged in at the time, but I wanted to double check with Bud about like, hey, is there anything kind of wild that I'm not aware of? And at that time, we had a, a staff that, you know, I wouldn't put it past uh, maybe a wild thing or two to occur. Yeah. Went, had this meeting with this guy. The, the thing that he had was nothing. I mean, it was like, a, it was something that you would honestly self-report and do so in an instance. But yeah, Bud and I began talking about some things and podcasting was in its early days and that kind of one thing led to another um, that, you know, one, Florida State had not committed any uh, egregious stuff on the recruiting trail that was about to be on the front of uh, ESPN.com or anywhere else. And uh, two, there was kind of a space at the time. The Nolcast really didn't have a name for the first couple of years. It was just the the FSU podcast because there you know, there wasn't a whole lot of need to uh, to delineate any further. It was just kind of an open space, and we were fortunate enough to be able to uh, talk to each other, come up with an idea, and it kind of grew from there. So we used to do it over the phone, literally, like, like we would record our phones, uh, and my now wife, then girlfriend, would make fun of me like crazy, and she's like, this is really nerdy. Like, you go into your office and talk to Ingram on the phone. The sound quality was really poor uh, to, to start out. And it was like the shows, the, the structure of the shows was not that was not necessarily all that structure. <laughs> it was just kind of us rambling sometimes. You know, sometimes we have a, a little more structure to it. But that was kind of the Wild West days of podcasting, right? I mean, nobody else was really podcasting back then. So that's that's what we did. Nowadays, we keep a little a little show doc and just add ideas to it throughout the week as, as things come up and as we think of things that, that we want to talk about. And we were fortunate to have that kind of space to ramp up real quickly uh, because like the biggest challenge is that we're not in the same room, right? So the first two years is basically us just talking over each other during the entirety of the podcast. So uh, I'm, I'm really happy that there was kind of that period of time to which the the show could kind of grow in and of itself to be more appropriate of the, you know, kind of the platform and the audience that we have now. Absolutely. Uh, I do remember that guy, by the way. Um, oh, yeah. He's still in the business. He He's not. He's in the business. He was not a Florida State guy, by the way. He was one of Florida. He, he covered one of Florida State's rivals. And you're right about the shadow staff thing. And I'm not going to use his name, but we had kids like say, Hey, who gave you that offer for this school? And he would say, coach this guy. And we're like, who? Like, who? Like, and you would look at their, their staff and, and it, people didn't have shadow staff like on their, uh, like they didn't have 11 analysts back in, in 2007, 2008. Right. Like that wasn't a thing. So if, if the guy wasn't listed on the school's directory, you could pretty much assume that he wasn't employed by the school. You know, like now it's, it's like you look at it like they have 11, you know, quality control guys and, and four analysts and all sort of stuff. But like, and we realized, wait a second, I think that what the kid is saying is this dude who is literally a reporter who covers that school and is really tight with their defensive coordinator uh, and would basically call kids 
give them their new offers when back back when you weren't allowed to call them. Remember that because there was that period where you couldn't communicate at all. Like, like the the definitions of some of the dead period stuff has changed. But and then he would also like call these kids and then hand the phone to the coach. Yeah, I would say there there was almost like <laughs> he would almost prime the pump at times. Like he'd be in an, in a a meeting evaluation you know, text kids how they would respond to a theoretical offer from this university. Five minutes later, magically, they'd get a call, whether it be from this individual or somebody else talking about a talking about a scholarship that had become available and that you'd probably need to make a decision on fairly quickly. So uh, when I, you know, when I talk about a guy being, <laughs> oh, and also the guy, this was right around uh, into the 2000s, like, Everybody in Gainesville knew what was going on when it comes to. Now I don't know if they knew he was like turning people room temperature, but everybody knew the liability that was some of the individuals that were on that roster and what was going on. Yeah, it, it real interesting time in college football. Wasn't he trying to sell that story to to the newspaper or? Yes, yeah, it was. It was. Act, I would label it as actively being shopped. I mean, that's that's why I, that was the. The initial reach out was uh, I, I called Bud. I had two two people that I was fairly close with on the staff at that time, uh, but you know you can't really call contacts years and be <laughs> be like, hey, are you uh, aggressively trying to pursue a you know top ranked recruit and have done X Y and Z? So uh, yeah, that's how that's the genesis of the Nolcast. And yeah, and there it did make us pause a little bit because the at the time. The guy on this on Florida State staff who this person was alleging did these things was certainly one of the dudes who you like if you had made this up, that's the guy I would have picked right to to to, to finger because I think that guy would have been sloppy enough to do some of this stuff and 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 leave a trail. I, I, yeah, man, I I God, I had forgotten about that. That's been it's been like twelve years, thirteen years. It's been a long time, and Tom uh, wrote that he was happy to support the Nolcast. Most of these questions come from our, our Patreons. We did uh, take a couple from Twitter DMs and emails, but uh, if you if you have any interest about further supporting the Nolcast, we'd encourage you to go to patreon.com backslash Nolcast. All right, Edgar, let's, let's pause real briefly here to bring you a message from Travis Johnson. Travis Johnson is a longtime sponsor of the Nolcast and a proud supporter of ours. He's also a board-certified family law expert. There are 110,000 attorneys in the state of Florida and less than 0.002% of them are board certified in family law. That means when you call Travis Johnson at 850-435-9919, you are getting one of the very few experts in the field of family law in the state of Florida. That's a pretty big deal. And here's Travis's message to you. We know this is pretty trying time. So Travis writes, I hope everyone's staying safe and healthy during this pandemic. Hopefully, the measures being taken across the state and country will limit the scope and duration of the current problems. However, these same measures have already resulted in millions of people being laid off, furloughed, or losing their income, with more sure to come. No one knows how long the situation will last, but if you have a child support or alimony obligation, you need to know that the requirement for you to pay support does not automatically change when your circumstances change. It's important to seek a court-ordered modification of your child support or alimony payment as soon as possible as any reduction can only be made retroactive to the time of the filing. Travis will actually offer you right now a free consult and will work with you on flexible rate payments. So check that out. If you call Travis, 850-435-9919. Free consult and flexible rate payments. We know a lot of y'all have changing circumstances. Please take that number down again, 850-435-9919. 
You might not need it today, but it's great to have when you do. And we thank Travis for support of the show. Chris, uh, another Patreon supporter of ours, wrote, uh, it has become clear uh, that some programs that have financial stability and sound infrastructure will likely be the ones that best uh, come out of this current situation. I could easily see this as an opportunity for some elite programs to further distance themselves from everyone else. My question is, do you see conferences and even some programs stepping in to help the greater good, not with money, but with sharing ideas amongst each other through these times? I fear if colleges and conferences don't come together, uh, the product on the field, court, etc., cetera, uh, could deteriorate in quality. Maybe I'm being altruistic, but I worry that uh, that's a path that we might be headed down. Oh, Chris, like when I first read your question during the pre-show, I, I said no. Like now that I think about this more, I, I think my answer is is yeah, I I, I do. Uh I because you, you can't college football can't exist if it's only you know twenty-five teams, right? You can't just have the top twenty money schools out there surviving and thriving and everybody else just totally struggling and 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 folding. Like that that that's not gonna work. Just be like the absolute just most bare bones about it. You need all these other teams for scheduling purposes. <laughs> like at a minimum, you got to have you got to have enough teams to survive. Now, like if if UMass wants to drop down back to FCS because it's it's because of coronavirus and because of the budget constraints, or uh, if New Mexico decides to go FCS or something like that, basically like any of these lower level F, like FBS teams that are not Power Five. Okay, see, ya. I I don't think the SEC is going to step in and say, hey, like we'll help you out with this or or this, but. I, I do believe that keeping the power five together is something that is is pretty damn important at, at this point because you, you have the you know sort of power five schools that are the the the, the autonomous group of, right as opposed to the the G five schools. So yeah, I, I think within that they would help each other out some. Now hypothetically here, like if Florida State had to drop, pick a women's sport at Florida State that doesn't win anything. Which is hard to do because, like, most of their women's sports are really, really good. They had to drop some non-successful women's sport that Florida State. I don't or non-successful men's sport, smaller one, obviously. Uh, I don't think that anybody would step in and help them out with that. But specifically for football, I, I do believe that there would be some. Ever got to this? I think there would be some pooling of resources to to help each other out because you have to have everybody else. You can't have like just the SEC and Big Ten be the only football schools, um, because you got to remember that they're also somewhat fighting a battle to keep football in the mainstream. You don't want football to become boxing, right? And like you want more football being played all over the place. Jimbo Fisher has brought this up, by the way, and and I think sometimes Jimbo rambles and says some stuff that I'm like that that doesn't make any sense, but but I do as well, so I. I kind of feel we're on that same wavelength there sometimes. He brings up the fact that like he always loves playing these FCS games simply because that game makes their budget. And for him, his belief that the the health of the sport is really important. So playing an FCS game, uh, if you're Florida State or A&M, cuts that check to that FCS school. Well, that, that really does help out their budget for the year because they're not going to have a big TV deal, if any TV deal at all. And then maybe that FCS team plays a a one double A or excuse me a, a D two team right and cuts them a check, which helps to make 
some of that D2 budget for, for the year and there's a trickle down. And, and his point is, if we don't have places for high school athletes to go play football at the next level, then fewer high school athletes will end up playing football, which ultimately chokes off the sport at its source. And, and that, that's what we can't have. And, and I'm, I'm trying to get another 30 years out of college football or, or well, another 20 so, so I can retire. So I, I'm really, really on board with Jimbo on this. We do not need less football to play. We need more football to be played. Uh, and so at a very minimum, I, I think the Power Five would be helped out. I think that they would help out the, the G5 schools, really. But maybe I'm wrong in that. Maybe, maybe I'm underestimating the altruism of these schools. All right. With, uh, with our final question that we'll be able to cover today, we'll go to Austin. Austin writes, with recruits forced to stay at home, during the COVID lockout, do you anticipate the NCAA eliminating the early signing period? And if so, would flips be at an all-time high in February? Got to hope the OT who just committed to UGA still visits Florida State and it goes down to the wire late in the process. I think it would be an advantage uh, for Florida State if other powerhouses are forced to keep recruiting all cycle long. Austin, I, first of all, I completely agree with you that it would help uh, for Florida State for the early signing period to be eliminated this time. I do not believe the early signing period will be eliminated. I, I really don't see any any need to. If you look at the the stated purpose from the NCAA and from the coaches for putting the, the early signing period in, it is a, a venue, a tool to be used for prospects who already have their mind made up and did not want to be bothered over the Christmas season, right? That's the that is the stated reason. Why, why they put it in, which makes some sense. That logic still applies even during the coronavirus time. If you're a prospect who has already made up your mind, and then you can go ahead and sign early. If you have not, you can use the traditional early signing period. So no, I, I do not see them doing that. Now, could there be fewer prospects to sign early? I think this is an interesting uh, concept. And one, by the way, that we debated within a uh, 24-7 sports group text recently. And, and my position was that, no, we will not see fewer prospects sign early. Not, not like materially fewer, fewer prospects, maybe a couple of fewer. Simply because coaches are still going to pressure the hell out of these kids to sign early. And these kids will always buckle under the pressure. We see this every single year. Like The prudent move would be to say, hey, no, I'm going to wait and see who else you sign. And I'm going to go ahead and sign the first week or first Wednesday in February because I'm not an early enrollee and it doesn't like there's no reason for me to lock this up early. I want to have all the possible information. I want to see which assistant coaches lie to me and change schools right, right after the early signing period. Right. But what happens? They don't wait because it's always the kids first time signing with a college. It's almost never the coaches first time signing a prospect. The coaches have the information advantage. They have the experience advantage. They have the advantage of, like, they, they have all the leverage here in practicality. Now, the recruits, in theory, should have all the leverage because they, they have the one who has to put the pen to paper. But they don't seem to exercise it very well, and the coaches are generally able to force them into, into decisions that, that they might not even want to make with the early signing period, which is not the worst thing in the world. Like, I don't, I don't think it's some, you know, human rights violation, but. I don't think that they're going to push back the early signing period right now. Kids like should just say, no, I'm not ready. I'll, and I'll sign in, in February. But then coaches will say, well, we're going to move on and we're going to give your spot to somebody else. As far as the offensive tackle uh, who just committed to Georgia, 
Can we argue that, that Micah Morris committing to, to Georgia is actually a good thing for Florida State because he went ahead and did it so early that Florida State can move on to more realistic targets? Does that make any sense? Oh, it makes tons of count. Yeah, we just have to go back one recruiting cycle to see where, you know, changes weren't made probably because somebody didn't make a public declaration. So, uh, full, yeah, absolutely. Th- that, and then also, you know, I know they're in the top 10 for Marius Mims, but they're not even in the top five. And Mims is the rare prospect who shoots it fairly straight and actually gave a, a listed in order top 10. So, like, you're number six for Mims. You're, you're not going to get a Marius Mims. Move on to some more realistic targets, right? Are you in the top three for Caleb Johnson? Uh, I don't know. He really didn't mention Florida State at all when, when I talked to him just a month ago in person in Orlando. We talked for like five minutes. Um, he, he was all, you know, Auburn and, and maybe some other SEC schools and, and maybe some schools up north. So, you know, finding out the kids you can get and then getting on them and, you know, sort of having a um, almost like a sales goal, right? have sort of like your your budget goal and then your reach goal and, and those other terms. That's kind of how you should, you should present that. You should have some kids you know you can sign and then you should have some, some kids you're, you're reaching on. You don't want to have all, you know, like you don't want to have all stretch goal targets, which at times I, I think Coach Taggart's staff had and that's, that's why they had some big time whiffs. Full agreement. Uh, full agreement. Uh, that'll that'll bring about an end to this week's Nolcast. Certainly uh, enjoyed it. Hey, here's to us being able to have uh, have many many more pods where the first 25 minutes or so are, are nothing but uh, kind of excitement and optimism about what the staff is doing on the recruiting trail. And uh, really enjoyed these listener questions. Uh, we'll get to the second half of them here soon. And uh, want to thank our sponsors. Want to thank our uh, Patreons. And uh, just everybody, it's an interesting time. We're very fortunate to be able to continue doing this. And uh, we'll have a podcast for you here in the next week or so as we uh, continue to kind of march on through this uh, odd period of time in sports and everything else. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles. Go Knowles.